Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Well, hello and welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 34. We're coming to you from Studio C at Maryland Public Television in Owings Mills, Maryland, the home for MotorWeek. Joining me in the studio today are road test producer Brian Robinson. Ahoy. And I'd like to thank Brian for taking over the hosting duties for the last podcast. He did such a great job. We just might ask him to do it again. Please, no. And we're also joined today with writer Shamit Choksi. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. And our reporter, Stephen Chupnik. Hello, hello. And Stephen does over-the-edge uh, segments for Motor Week, and today we're going to ask him to stay right here in the chair and not move. Uh, I'll try not to. you try not to. Good boy. Hey, we're going to talk about the New York Auto Show. We're going to talk about the Infinity M, new car from them, a uh, new flagship car from them, and the surprising Hyundai Tucson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be looking at the new pricing announcement for the Nissan Leaf and how that's changing the landscape for electric and semi-electric cars. And one we'll also look into our mailbag. We've got a question about where our test cars come from. Uh, should evoke some interesting answers from our crowd. But let us now begin with uh, take a look at the New York Auto Show. And I guess I'll start there because um, on this, uh, sitting around this table, I was the uh, key member that uh, went up for the show. You know, this we always expect the any auto show in the Big Apple to be pretty um, outrageous. And, and this year, really, the word solid keeps coming to mind more than anything else. It was a good, solid show with variations on current themes, a few new models, but most of it was, uh, you know, a new model, a new sport model, a new engine for an existing vehicle. However, there was one theme that caught my eye. At this show, we saw a lot of new vehicles coming out with optional engines that are different than what we've seen before. Case in point. Hyundai showed a new version of their Sonata. Already, everybody has seen the car and thinks this 2011 Sonata, gorgeous car. It would stand to reason it would have an optional V6 engine because it's that midsize class to go up against Accord and Camry. But no, they're showing a 2-liter turbocharged engine that's actually more powerful on paper than most six-cylinders. They're also showing a hybrid. We've seen this same kind of approach over at Buick where they're talking about a new Buick Regal, the performance model, which you might think would have a a six-cylinder or a turbo six even in it. It's getting a four-cylinder turbo. Now, what we're seeing here is the kind of moves by automakers that are necessary to meet the new fuel economy laws that go into effect 2012 model year, which is really about nine months from now or less, and will keep getting stricter and stricter through 2016. This is going to change the way a lot of cars and trucks are equipped. More four-cylinder engines, fewer sixes, much few, many fewer V8s. matter of fact, um, Mercedes is even talking about the S-Class not having an eight-cylinder in the U.S., just being a, a V6 uh, with a hybrid system on it. Uh, so Americans are basically better be prepared for different automotive choices, and unfortunately, they're probably not going to be ready for this. It's probably going to cause some consternation. But this is what's coming, and I think we saw some of it at the show. Yeah. If we wait till we're ready, we might never be ready. So, exactly. Yeah. And the fact Just that it's going to come on pretty quick— all these designs are in progress now. 
Yeah. Um, new, a new hybrid from Lincoln sort of to go up against Lexus, the MKZ. We sort of knew that was coming. Right. Um, the Koreans uh, really took everybody by storm. Besides the Sonata, another new flagship from Hyundai, the, the Equus, uh, above the Genesis. We already thought the Genesis was top of the line. Here's something bigger. Over at Kia, a new Optima, which was a drop-dead-looking, uh, gorgeous-looking four-door sedan. A new Sportage, a new um, Forte hatchback. They just launched the Sorento, and they're doing a new sport version of that. So the Koreans really on a roll. It's almost like they it's their decade. I mean, it has been that for at least five years running now. And I think you're absolutely correct. I think they're on this roll they're the on could well continue. Uh, new sport wagon from Acura, the uh, TSX line. Uh, the IQ, which we've seen a couple of concepts of, is now going to be a Scion. A uh, tiny little four-place car that basically is about the same size as a smart car. Just a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And on and on and on. It was a good, solid show. Um, John, well, I also yes. wanted to mention the, the Chevy Cruze. Absolutely. Uh, uh, they, they came out with the Eco version of it. Uh, I think it's called the Eco, right? Chevy That's Cruise. correct. And um, the question I have about this car, you can tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about it, but uh, there's just... Looking at the fact that they are now shooting for 40 miles per gallon with a non-hybrid car. Right. Does, with a big interior. With a, with a large interior, with uh, just good packaging. Could that possibly render hybrids down the road obsolete if you can do this without a hybrid system? If you can hit 40 miles per gallon that's and, and, aff- and affordably do it? I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, a lot of automakers, including some of the German automakers with diesels and so forth, see lots of life and internal combustion engines left, and they think they can do squeeze more miles per gallon. Now, they've got to do it, the, the, the uh, Cruise Echo, that particular model that will get 40 miles per gallon, and that's a highway rating. Uh, that's a manual only, so they sure. haven't been able to do it with an automatic yet. It uses all sorts of trick aerodynamics, super low rolling resistant tires. It's geared so it will accelerate Very slowly. So, But still, it shows what's possible. Ford's going to probably do the same thing with the Focus. But even if it gets 38 miles per gallon and it's got an interior that's almost as big as a Toyota Camry, well, that's better than the Camry Hybrid does. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, hybrids are never like a be-all, end-all. It's just kind of a bridge to get full electric. Definitely. So I think we'll see full electric and more efficient uh, gas engines. Definitely. Well, I know with the cruise, uh, you know, like everybody's saying, is, you know, a rumor went around. Uh, there was no media inv- inv- invited to this, but uh, some GM execs went down to the Lordstown, Ohio plant where they're going to be making the cruise. And he announced to all the workers that this is the most important car that GM's going to produce and has produced because of what it's going to do uh, for America. That says a lot. That says a lot. I hope he's right. It's got some formidable competition. But I think the good thing for all of us is you're not going to have to give up size for fuel economy. Just a lot of straight-line performance. Just a lot big, of straight-line performance. Big cars with four cylinders. <laughs> and that's actually one of the areas there where the hybrids will excel because, as we all know, hybrids, because of the electric motor, can be very fast. Excellent. Uh, let's move on to a real vehicle that's out now. And, Brian Robinson, I'm going to turn this over to you. The Infiniti M, the new one. Yes, sir. The M is their uh, their largest car, their flagship, if you will. Uh, they definitely have taken it in a sportier direction. I think uh, Infiniti more so than Acura or Lexus is serious about taking on BMW and performance. Look at their G-Series sedan. Done really well with that. Similar taking that uh, feel to the M-Class. The... Uh, Engines, huge boost in power. The V6 is uh, 330, which is more than the previous V8. And the V8's 100 horsepower more up to uh, 420. 
uh, chock full of uh, techno goodies, as you would expect. I think uh, after driving it, like the first thing I wrote down on my notes was uh, the Infinity M is it's a car that if you bought it and your neighbor saw you know he saw you roll in the driveway, he'd be like, ah, oh, great Infinity M, no big deal, you know, that's nice. But then uh, you know if you gave him a ride down to the country club or wherever it is you go when you have an Infinity M, and uh, you know you gave him a ride down there and he'd be in there and be like, wow, this thing is this is phenomenal. I had no idea this car was that nice. Similar along those lines. Do you, don't you think it's a big improvement? Uh, yeah, big improvements, uh, especially with the uh, performance, as I mentioned, handling. The, uh, you got a sport model, which you can get in the V6 or V8. And uh, uh, I'm particularly just, uh, I mean, all of what you're saying, I agree with. Uh, and then, of course, the interior. I, I think it's Infinity's best interior to date. So, Some of the best woodwork. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, no it really is uh, impressive, refined, very uh, very luxurious. I and mean, we were talking about this before, whether they're really, you know, are they're stepping it up? Are they necessarily going, are they trying to shoot for what BMW is doing or what Mercedes is doing? Um, and, and you tend to think, no, that that's not what they're doing. They're doing their own thing in the same light. I, I believe so. I think they've kind of gone away from having like an Uber techno uh, tour de force, you know, flagship that everyone looks at. But, you know, and just it's, understa- it, it's understated. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's a it's still kind of a mid-sized car, so they have, they're not really trying to market, uh, you know, the 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 old um, uh, flagship car they had the QX, I mean, rather the Q uh, series. That was a big car. I mean, that would go up against, I guess, an S class today. Right. Uh, this is still built on the same chassis as the G class, uh, so it's still roughly a mid-sized car. So you don't think they're basically trying to tell everybody that you know we're we're up to a seven series BMW level with this car. I, I don't think so. I think they tried that as you mentioned with the Q, mm-hmm. and uh, they weren't exactly successful with it. So yeah. uh, you know they trying to continue what they do better, and that's uh, make a nice handling uh, midsize. And you did like driving it? Yeah, very much so. I would take the the V6 is more than adequate power-wise. I would take that with a sport package over the V8. The V8 was just uh, overkill, really. It's kind of like what we're seeing in a lot of cars, like the Genesis sedan. The V6 is so good. Why do you need the 8? I think Infinity is particularly proud of, uh, and I hate to come back to looks, but I was out there for the uh, L.A. Auto Show when they introduced this car. Not at L.A., but it was off-site. And, you know, they didn't even give journalists drives of the car. They were just like, look at this thing. You know what I mean? Look look at what we've done here. Uh, we Don't touch it. Just look at it. You know, and um, So, you know, that says a lot. They seem to have been able to... Uh there's, the, there's a lot of buttons on the interior. They're, they don't have like a central uh, control iDrive kind of thing like everyone else. But they you know, they've seem to be able to do it really well. I mean, it right. doesn't look cluttered at all. Everything's no. right where you want it to be, easy to navigate. Uh, I think it's a much better than having a iDrive-type control knob. Mm-hmm. Infinity M, I'll let that be the last word. And now, uh, speaking of uh, head-turning designs and unexpected... Let's turn to the Hyundai Tucson, second-generation Tucson compact crossover. Shamit, uh, give us some impressions. Well, we, I mean, we spent some time with this car. Again, we were talking about the Koreans. Uh, here's another example of them uh, making great strides. Uh, the Hyundai Tucson is a small crossover that's competing with some um, some 800-pound gorillas, mm-hmm. so to speak. It's CRV, rag yeah. for Yeah, it is the. It might be the segment right now, as far as uh, uh, just the mass market's concerned. And um, you know, they've totally. Turned, I mean, if you put today's 
Tucson next to yesterday's Tucson, they're two di- totally different vehicles. Give me an idea. The the the, la- the first generation Tucson, it was uh, a nice little vehicle, but nothing special looking. Wise. Uh, just kind of bland looking. Uh, the styling was uh, generic. <laughs> Generic's the perfect word. It wasn't ugly, but whatever. You know, it would drive by and you probably wouldn't take a second look. This thing is really nice looking. You know, you look at this thing and you're like, you may actually question. What was that that just drove by? Um, uh, it has a sculpted look in, inside and out. Inside's no longer plasticky. It's no longer cheap feeling. It it, uh, it has a refined, just a refined presence overall. It was, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's the first, but it was um, the it was done by Hyundai's European Design Studios. And the closest thing I can think to it is look at uh, the styling for the new uh, uh, Ford Fiesta and Ford Focus. It's that kind of swept back. Almost like you're wearing goggles, yep. in, you know, on a on a motorcycle. Yeah, nice lines. Uh, headlights are swept back, like mm. you said. Um, as far as driving experience, I think it really leans towards handling over ride. Not to say the ride's uh, bad, but it's certainly more of a f- fun driver's car, a more youthful vehicle. Um, the the only real thing that I think uh, is a shortcoming for the Tucson is its interior cargo room because it's going up against CRV and Rav Four, which are offering almost seventy cubic feet, um, you know, and this is coming in at fifty five. One family, of the smallest from its class. Yeah, it really is. So uh, you know, a family may think twice about that. Um, you know, if you want to just haul around town or do road trips or whatever, it it may come up short. You also mentioned in the road test you wrote about the rear seat doesn't move. The rear, that's you're right. That's another thing that competitors offer uh, in this class is uh, that sliding or reclining or reclining or rear seat. And again, yes, the Tucson does not offer that. I mean, you can't have it all, but uh, you know, people may actually make that head-to-head comparison. I, I when I drove it, I, I thought this is definitely a different animal. It is um, the steering is to the point of if you're not paying attention, it can be darty. I thought the ride was. Um, uh, actually quite stiff on the all-wheel drive. I personally, when you look at a European ride, uh, I like what Volkswagen's uh, doing with the Tiguan better. But my understanding, and I have not driven it, is that the front drive model has a much, much, much softer ride. So if you're in the market for a Tucson, depending on where you live, if you live where there's a lot of rough pavement, you might, and you don't necessarily need the all-wheel drive, you might look at the front-wheel drive. Yeah, back-to-back test drive would probably be a good idea. Definitely slick-looking inside and out, as you mentioned. I would say that I'm maybe not as impressed with it as I was uh, some of the other Hyundai stuff, like the Genesis and Sonata was incredible. So maybe my standards for Hyundai have have went up a little bit, but uh, I would say I wasn't impressed with it. Did you think it had... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did you think there were too many lines, too many joints in the dash? There was something about the interior that, that I also had a little problem with. Yeah, I'm not sure I could put my finger on it, but uh, it just, yeah, there's a lot of lines, a lot, of, lot going on. It didn't look smooth or refined maybe as much as like the Sonata. Yeah, but still a real head turner, and it's better, selling uh, really well. And what Brian's saying is also a, a statement to the brand itself. Yep. You know, I mean, if, if this car is not up to some of the other things in, in the rest of the brand, I guess they've stepped it up all the, all the way across the board. Yeah, very, very interesting piece, and we're going to see a lot more interesting Hyundais to come. 
Now let's turn to our lightning round where our Motor Week uh, crew here have the opportunity to share their opinions on topics making the headlines. And this is one that happened right uh, at the beginning of the New York Auto Show press days. Nissan announced that its electric car, the Leaf, which will go on sale in a couple of markets in December and around the country uh, early next year in 2011, uh, will sell for after $7,500 federal uh, tax incentives, about twenty-five thousand dollars. So it's roughly thirty-two-five uh, MSRP minus seventy-five hundred dollars in uh, federal tax credits for twenty-five thousand, and that also works out to a lease of about uh, three hundred forty-nine dollars a month. Now, there's some other extras that have to be thrown in here. Uh, if you want the charging system that will enable it to charge up overnight in eight hours, it's another 2200 bucks. However, that part of that, most of that, comes back as a, in tax uh, relief as well. So having said all that, the question we've had for our crowd here is, uh, you know, it's a 100-mile range car under optimum conditions. It's a small five-door hatchback. The price, obviously, is high compared to other cars of its size, but Given that it's the, you know, such an unusual animal, do you think it will sell? And here we go. Yeah, I think it's a, definitely a good price. I think, uh, you know, the early adopters, you look at the people that are going to buy this thing, and maybe, you know, price is almost, I want to say no option to them, but, you know, they're the eco-conscious people that want to drive an eco-freak mobile and be more eco than anyone in their neighborhood. And I think they're going to buy whether it's 25 or 50. So I think it puts more pressure on other manufacturers, you know, I think everyone was kind of assuming they could put on an electric car for forty or fifty thousand dollars, and people would buy it. Like I say, but now Nissan's saying that you're going to have to uh, do a little better than that. Plus, in some states like California, and even in our home state of Maryland, there may be additional local tax credits that drive the price down even more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, this is the first all-electric mass-produced car in the, in, in this country. It's a big deal, and I mean, I've had neighbors already come up to me say, "I'm, I'm definitely buying one of those things." I, you don't hear that about a particular car. So, um, you know, I'm still kind of uh, blown away because this car has snuck up on everybody. And I think when it comes out, it's going to surprise everyone. $25,000 does not seem like a big price for an all-electric. Now, Stephen, I know you've been doing some research into what people think on the Internet about the LEAF. Why don't you give us some insight into that? Yeah, we put this out to our Facebook fans uh, on the MotorWeek Facebook page. And, you know, just before we get to some of the responses... I think people always have a hesitation to do something new. Right. You know, it, it's just one of those things where, uh, do I do it? Do I do it? I don't know. I don't know. Change is uncomfortable. Change is very uncomfortable. Um, you know, a few people were very vocal about not even touching the Nissan Leaf. Uh, we had no, no ways across the board, uh, except for a few people who said, you know, Keith said, nice price, but I'll stick with my TDI. Well, and that's it's a someone, diesel, and so he's getting the, he's doing very well with that. He's happy with that. Exactly, and that's something that I've heard off the Facebook page that people are like the diesel. Um, but one person said, you know, they, they're, they're happy with uh, Nissan testing the waters. That's Jay. And, uh, you know, George said, uh, you know, he's, he, what about the battery price and ownership? How much will it cost? Right. To, to really maintain... There's a lot of questions out Yeah, there are a lot of questions, but, you know, they're talking about... Uh, the, the the number I keep hearing about is $7,000 if you have to ever replace the batteries. I'm sure it's under warranty. Yeah, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the Chevy Volt to come in its price lower than the forty grand that was really rumored, which would... They need to get it under thirty for um, uh, after the uh, tax incentives. Okay. 
the Michelle has rung the bell. So let's move on now to our Motor Week mailbag. Uh, and basically, if you've got a question, we'd like you to visit our MotorWeek.org website, and you could submit your question. And if you're chosen, you'll receive one of these free limited edition Motor Week T-shirts that I'm showing you right now, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> Take our word for it. It's worth having. Here's the question. It's from Seth, and he asked, I'm curious as to whether the vehicles that you test on MotorWeek are purchased anonymously from local dealers or if the dealers and our manufacturers know that they are providing cars to be used and tested on your TV show. Now, I think he's referring to Consumer Reports that always likes to talk about the fact that they go in and buy their cars anonymously. At least that's what they think. Um, and, uh, and that's not our case. Who would like to answer the question? Um, Brian, yeah, I, I mean, we get all of our... You're our road test yeah. producer. You know the cars better than anybody else. We get all of our vehicles, not directly from the manufacturers themselves, but through a delivery company that that's that's their job is to deliver uh, vehicles to the press. So they, we don't deal with local dealers at all. The manufacturers are definitely aware that these vehicles will be evaluated um, for our mag, you know TV show and magazines. Now... Everyone assumes that they're highly massaged and went over, and uh, and I, you know, I'm sure that does happen at some point. But actually, to me, it's usually worse because worse than the cars you actually buy. Many of the cars we get are pre-production vehicles, right? So uh, body panels don't fit maybe the way they will on your car, and uh, interior plastics are often uh, a different quality. So you know. And also, I mean, the other people that drive the cars before we get them are journalists, and they're not exactly the most, uh, well, let's say... Uh, just, let's just say that we don't take care of the cars like we actually own them sometimes. A, a, exactly. But, so, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, somebody else will have a car for a week or two, and it goes in, and it gets washed and puts some gas in, and it comes right to us. Right. Unless so, it's got a serious problem. So you may see uh, whatever, uh, a yeah. Ford pickup on the cover of Car and Driver. Two weeks later, it's in our parking lot. And that's, that's basically the way that works. Yeah. So in generally speaking, the cars uh, come to us with several thousand miles on them. They generally don't stay in service much past about six or seven. And uh, sometimes they have uh, minor faults. Uh, sometimes we're told about those before they come. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we create them. Sometimes we create them. I mean, we are human. We have up to 20 people that, that uh, go through the cars. But uh, in general, uh, you know, the cars come to us in a reasonable running condition. But I would hope, actually, that the cars you buy uh, look a little bit better than some of the ones we get into test. Okay. Anybody else want to add anything? Stephen, well, you're the newest member on the staff. What do you think about the conditions of some of uh, our cars? Well, I, I think I'm afraid to ask. Well, no, I, I think like everybody, everybody's going to drive a car the way that they're going to drive their own car, or whether it's you know work for Pity work the or poor car. And I, I think that's the true test of how we evaluate cars. No one wants to right. see an evaluation of a brand new car because every brand new car, or most brand new cars, run beautiful, are going to run right. perfect. Right. So I think it's good that we get some of these cars that have been used. And I'm that's a good amazed point. That people think that we actually go and buy all these cars. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is public radio and public television and public internet, folks. Yeah. We definitely yeah. need a bigger. Garage. We're lucky if we can change some of the tires <laughs> every once in a while. Ooh, stop telling on ourselves. <laughs> I want to thank everybody at the. Uh, table today, road test producer Brian Robinson, our writer Shamik Choksi, our reporter uh, Stephen Chupnik. Also, those uh, folks that you may not necessarily uh, hear as much from, including our bell ringer, our um, 
producer, Michelle Parker, who's with us today, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, who makes sure that all of this comes through loud and clear, and, of course, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. I'm John Davis. For all of us at MotorWeek, please go to our website at MotorWeek.org and watch out for MotorWeek on your local public television station. Till next time, be sure to watch MotorWeek. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.